Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Culture Nerd Podcast. This week we're officially on episode 11 of 2023's second season. We're actually going to be talking about a story that happened a few weeks ago, but I wanted to let it cook a little bit before we got into the, the nitty gritties. We're going to talk about what happened with the Lord of the Rings and the recent announcement that Warner Brothers Discovery is not only making more movie projects, but how it directly conflicts what Amazon is doing with the Rings of Power show. We're going to talk about the details of each of the contracts. We're going to talk about what exactly is happening and what it could mean for the future. Because it definitely sounds like Amazon is doing their, their one story. But Warner Brothers can do that same story if they wanted to, but do it differently. So it's very interesting to see what it's going to be. But let's talk about it and let's uh, let's get into it. So uh, a few weeks back, some news happened, kind of shook the internet, but it's been let's let's take a big. It's been a very interesting. Let's take a big step back, okay? Yes. I feel like before Peter Jackson's movies, they talked about there was always a mythical. They're gonna make a Lord of the Rings movie someday, right? But it like (laughs) never manifested. And it's, it's very interesting because of the story behind that. So Tolkien himself, when he died, um, he he had previously sold the, the movie rights to uh, United Artists back in the 60s for a very small amount. And they had the sole ownership of the movie rights for a very long time. And then we got the animated movies and they were always expected to try to make some live action movie, but it never, never happened. Um then Warner Brothers came in. Uh, actually, it was actually New Line at the time. New Line came in, uh, greenlit the projects uh, with the buying the rights and everything that they did in the early 2000s. And the most amazing thing about it is how much it costs. Remember how much the Lord of the Rings trilogy actually costs? No, because I feel like he they agreed on a budget. They shot it as one mega movie. Um, And then as the movie got popular, like as the movies were something, I feel like more money was then allocated to them, right? Like return action. So they really, they had the same team. They had the same, everything that worked on it from the start to to finish. They, the most expensive part of it was obviously the full CGI inclusion of the character Gollum, which was brand new for the medium, but the entire budget for all three films was only $281 million. Wow. And that's that's insane because the movies ran uh, in theatrical. All three movies totaled about 558 hours. The, th- the extended cuts added another 130 hours on top of that. And if you watch them, obviously the extended cuts are the way to go because they're amazing. But they definitely changed some aspects of the the lore. They had to take some stuff out. They took out um, Tom Bombadil. They took his whole story out. They took out. Well, I was going to say. As as complete as Peter Jackson's movies are, to make money, you need people to go to a movie theater and then leave the movie theater so new people can come in there. So they were always telling him to cut him down. Now they were, were. but it was kind of amazing that they they got away with what they did because they made 
They spent just a little bit under three hundred million to budget this film. Obviously, they probably spent a bit more marketing to to get it out there, but they made almost three billion dollars in box office over the the course of those three years that those movies came out. Um, they which were is insane. They were must see movies that also were amazing. There was mm-hmm. so many achievements. I feel like my wife, who has seen the movies is not necessarily pining to watch them again or a fan of them, but it was such a technical achievement at the time. Even regular movie audiences went and saw them and they were still very long. But the best part about it was now everybody kind of knows what the Lord of the Rings story is. So what other stories are there to tell? So after they made those first three, they revisited years later when they made uh, the Hobbit trilogy. Which now, was a mistake, trilogy. right? No, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I will always contest that the director, the extended cuts of the Hobbit trilogy are worth watching. The theatrical cuts were a mess, but the the trilogy is better. But the reason why the trilogy was an issue was because of how it was conceived initially. Because if you remember, Peter Jackson only took over directing these movies in the 11th hour. Guillermo From, del Toro of Hellboy right. fame was the original director. He commissioned a lot of design, a lot of artwork, a lot of casting. He was the one who actually casted a a different Bilbo Baggins. And all of these changes were very late, had to be adapted very late in the game when Peter Jackson took over. And initially, it was supposed to only just be two films. But then Peter Jackson said, hey, we can adapt it exactly as the book. And then the third act will be essentially just the battle begins, Bilbo gets hit on the head, and then the battle's over. Like, that's literally how the book goes. He said, or we can make it three films. We can dig more stuff out of the appendixes, out of the other stories, to create a version of The Hobbit that is not the journal, but the story that is actually being told that allows you to see how it all connects. Because in The Hobbit, Gandalf disappeared for giant chunks, and we never saw him. And he just came back, and he disappeared. He came back, and he disappeared. So everything that you saw with Gandalf that's not in the presence of Bilbo that had to be added into the story based on the appendixes. Hmm. So Gandalf was pretty much gone for like 99% of the book. So they, they made this movie, they made this trilogy and the trilogy was a bit more expensive. Um, They said that of course, obviously with these movies being what they were, the budget for all three of them was about 700 million. So it was a lot more expensive to make these three movies. However, they made about the same amount back. They made about $3 billion in, in box office. So they still made their money. I can't believe that. To be honest, I can't believe it because as much as the problems that that first run has, it's great to hear that people still went and saw them because it yeah. probably it's probably why you got the director's cut at all. Yeah. Well, they always intended to do the same thing. They always allow Peter Jackson to make his movie and then they said, okay, now you got to cut it down to make it theatrical. And they, they essentially cut about 80 hours out of it. So less was cut, but the di- the difference was obviously they, they had to add more and they had to explain more. And there was a lot more stuff happening. Um, but I it was very interesting. hunger for a more a tour world. Like the fact that we yeah. didn't see Guillermo del Toro's hobbit movie makes me really sad i wish we lived in the alternate universe where we saw that movie because i bet it's scary i bet it's weird i bet it's got great character designs 
And I think that was what the big thing was. A lot of people attribute the, the trilogy, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, to being as cheap as it was, was because Peter Jackson insisted on doing everything practical. And that is the the way that he kept it down. Instead of building these massive CGI sets or match of that, he literally built the Shire because it was cheaper to build it in the hills of New Zealand than it would be to build on the soundstage. So he kept doing stuff like that where he's like, okay, it's cheaper to do it this way. Let's just do it this way. And they, they saved a ton of money just building it all practically. And some of the things, like obviously Minas Tirith was one of those cities that they couldn't build practically because it's gargantuan. But I mean, it's it's all old school style trick photography. The right. actual Minas Tirith, I think, was only like nine feet tall and like maybe 15 feet wide. But they were able to film these massive scenes on set and then just kind of do old school cinematography, old school special effects and kind of just splice the practical model shot into it. Which they kind is, of go back to using models because I I do. I just recently was watching something about how they did the effects in the Matrix uh, in uh, the third Matrix movie where they're having all those big explosions in Zion. Those were all practical uh, sets that they blew up and they looked great. And that's the thing is like a, a practical effects with CGI cleanup is the way that it always should be. It should never be, let's just rely 100% on CGI. And that's where you get things like Deep Blue Sea, where the shark is clearly fake. But if you do it right, if you use practical effects, it works. And like I said before, they obviously had to cut out a lot from the original books. There was an entire chapter they had to take out of for the movie trilogy, which was the scourging of the Shire. Removing that whole section that did kind of suck for people who knew what it was. But is what it is. I mean, the whole character of Tom Bombadil was completely removed. The entire way that the hobbits got their swords was completely removed. Because that was the whole, where they found this tomb and then they were finding this treasure. Then they got locked in a casket by a monster. And there was all this stuff about them getting the swords and why the swords were unique and special. Oh, and Guillermo del Toro loves that version of the book. Yeah. Where they're trapped in a coffin and a monster's there and then they fight yeah. with swords. Yeah. Yeah, and there was so much about the Lord of the Rings that obviously had to get cut due to time and all that. But obviously, the Return of the King is one of is still one of the most Academy Award winning movies of all time. Uh, Alan Shore's uh, soundtracks are beloved by pretty much everyone who hears them. If you hear the the Hobbit music, you're like, oh yeah, that's a good song, and you know what it is. And the the whole reverence that Peter Jackson had to the lore and had to with trying to maintain the overall look to match with Tolkien's original drawings. Because Tolkien, yeah. I have it around here. Tolkien has a beautiful book of his doodles that he did with every single one of the Lord of the Rings books, The Hobbit, The Cimmerillion, all those things. He would draw everything. Like the Elven Gates, things like that. Like He would draw these things because he wanted people to understand what he wanted. The Misty Mountains from The Hobbit. That's how he always envisioned them. Right. So he he always wanted his books to obviously his words to paint a picture, but he also wanted people to, to be able to see what he was imagining. Rivendell. Yeah. And it also but it, it speaks to another point that's going to come up. Peter Jackson went above and beyond like it's already been. To, it's very well known that this was a passion project for him, but. 
any one of these mega stories under a lesser director, they falter very often. Yeah. There's weird total issues. And the fact that the Lord of the Rings, that the original print and then the extended ones are so good is a, a true testament to his ability. Uh, those poor Hobbit movies, he ran out of time. There's a featurette where he's on set where he has to stop production because he goes, I'm out of ideas. We, You've literally, the production has finally caught up with my brain. And he had to go yeah. and sit down and figure all the rest of that out. Right, because there was definitely things that had to be explained differently because the books didn't tell them. Like there was always like, this happened, this happened, and this happened, like bullet points. And they had to add more to it. And that's exactly what happened with the Lord of the Rings, the ring, uh, the Amazon's, the rings of power, the rings of power turned it turned into be a very controversial show for a lot of people. Wait, 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 go back for a second. So, uh, new line. And I guess Warner brothers did the original ones, correct? Yes. All six <clears throat> of the, the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies. That's theirs. Okay, now the Hobbit movie I know for a long time was trying to be at MGM and was this weird bargaining chip. That and James Bond, they were going out of business. They weren't going out of business. They kept trying to sell this off. Did they then sell the rights to that? So, the and that's always been the trickiest part to understand is what, what actually the rights are. So, the Tolkien estate was the legal body that was formed of... Tolkien's work, right? It's it's his the copyright of all of his books. It's it basically they run the entire ownership of the books in print and everything else. Separately was was established was the Middle Earth Enterprises. This was formerly known as Tolkien Enterprises, and this was actually something that was made specifically to handle the non-print work for the Lord of the Rings. And that includes Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, everything else. It was meant to encapsulate TV shows, movies, games, everything that wasn't the print book. Did they make all the video games me and you played? Did they Were they responsible for making all of those types of games? They were responsible for licensing out those rights to whoever made those games. So initially, I know because you, you were kind of right, but you were kind of wrong at the same time. Initially... Uh, before New Line came in, Miramax was the company that was uh, making Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings projects in the late 90s. Um, then Disney at the time said, no, we're not going to let this be three films. We're going to condense the Lord of the Rings into one film. Kind of stalled for a bit. And then New Line came in and required the rights away from Disney and, and Miramax and then gave him the three movies. So that's okay. what you're thinking of is... Miramax. It was a different M company, but it was okay. But Disney then, who was, was originally doing the Hobbit? Because I thought MGM was doing that with Guillermo del Toro. No, it was always it was always uh, New Line. Okay, okay. So they switch at the eleventh hour, but those yep. Hobbit movies are still all under the same umbrella. I could buy a box set that came with all six movies, and that would go to just the one company. Right, and the only continuity error between all of those movies because Peter Jackson was trying to be as meticulous as possible, was the introduction scene in The Fellowship of the Ring where they show young Bilbo, which was played by the different actor. Right. That is the only continuity issue because Peter Jackson tried to do as much as he could to make them as bleeding together as possible, even so much that at the beginning of the Hobbit movies, you have the introduction for The Fellowship of the Ring told from a different angle. Okay. So they wanted to make sure that they bookended together. So you could quite literally watch 
all three Hobbit movies. And the moment the ending occurs of the third movie, it actually lines up with the introduction of the Fellowship of the Ring just from a different camera angle. Okay. So they, they tried as much as they could to make them sandwiched together. Based on The Hobbit, and this is something I don't know, based on The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books, how much more Tolkien books are there? A lot. Okay. How much just dealing with this world and how much of the other stuff is just like one-off stories and other worlds he wrote about? So his Middle Earth books, right? So he had he had created a lot of mythology behind everything. Um, and the fun the fun fact of it all was that Tolkien in the in his early years in, in the trenches of World War One, he was a linguistics student, and his whole idea was to create languages of his own. So he created the languages of Elvish, he created the languages of Dwarfish. They, he created all these things, and then while he was in the the trenches, he wanted to justify the creations of these these languages, and he made stories around these things, and then eventually that turned into what it turned into. But a lot of his stories are the same story again and again. He, he likes to repeat himself in a different way. Um, well, the story of me, the Hobbit. But, but isn't that the classic storyteller? He's in a yes. ditch and every night he tells them a story about a one character and each time it changes a little bit each time, but it's his story to tell. Right. And he had all of his, all of his wonderful stories that he would tell. And, he would, and the story of the Hobbit was essentially the same story as Lord of the Rings, just from different characters it was like the same beats everything like that um overall he had created um aside from just his main books um he had the, the hobbit and the lord of the rings and initially the lord of the rings was meant to be one book it was actually broken up into three books by the publishers um smart people smart people let's yeah. get that money um, so he had the hobbit the lord of the rings he did have the adventures of tom bobadil which is a a poetry book the reason why this book is significant is because tom bombadil was a character in the lord of the rings he was just taken out for the movies um there was and isn't, a, and, and isn't he like op isn't he like op magic man isn't he overpowered isn't so he tom like Bombadil? it's such a fun character because um in one of my my classes at university i actually did the mythology of lord of the rings as one of my electives um my final paper for the thing was about the enigmatic nature of Tom Bombadil because when I was reading the thing I'm like okay this guy clearly has to be a deity because of what he can do he's not someone who's just some random oafish character who sings and dances he's literally someone that even Gandalf who's symbolically an angel goes to for advice and this guy apparently is immortal and married to another married to an elf and has the ability to command nature around him like this guy is literally a deity so I did this whole essay about how insane this character was and how he, I, I basically was like, Tom Bombadil has to be a Valar because there's no way he can't be because of all the little, the rings and the little things like that. There, there's so much there. Um, so when he, his only published books that happened when he was how alive. Does, how does that match up with Tolkien's Christianity because I know that so much of the story is a it's his Christian worldview and then these characters are in it but then he basically has like a Zeus character along inside of that yeah well I mean he the way he kind of always attributed it was that there was there was one main god and that main god has all of these angels and these angels do all this work and then after Morgoth broke away and became the fallen angel um and started trying to pervert the, the world uh, that God sent his angels and his other uh, lesser creators of the heavens to earth to help protect human race. 
And that's kind of how he did it. Okay, so, so Tom Bombadil was just like name. one of the first ones, I guess. You know what I mean? He was yeah, he was, like, he was like one of the archangels that came to Earth and just stayed there and hung out. Um, so while he was alive, he published The Hobbit in 1937, The Lord of the Rings trilogy in the 50s, and the poetry books Tom Bombadil and The Road Goes Ever On in the, the 60s. After he died, his son took over and finished a lot of other books for him, the things that they had at the house that were just never published. Since then, we now have... Are those books uh, considered canon, or is it like the Dune books yes. where like the dad's Dune books are good, but the kids' Dune books aren't as good? No, no, they're all considered canon because all of these things were actually referenced within these six within these properties. Like so, okay. uh, Tolkien had this wonderful way of making his projects feel more lived in by referencing things that he doesn't tell you about. He says, "Oh, this was like the Battle of this," and then he would never explain it, but then he would write a story about that battle. And that would be where you would find it. He um, basically is citing his own sources and being like, oh, I got to write that source later on. <laughs> basically, yeah. So posthumanly, since his death, his published works include Bilbo's Last Song, Guide to the Names of the Lord of the Rings, uh, The Cimmerillion, The Unfinished Tales, The History of Middle-Earth, and The History of Middle-Earth contains 12 books of The Lost Tales 1 and 2, the Lays of Belerand, The Shaping of the Middle-Earth, The Lost Road and Other Writings, The Return of the Shadow, The Treason of Isengard, The War of the Ring, Sauron's Defeat, Morgoth's Ring, The War of the Jewels, The Peoples of Middle-Earth, and then you have The Children of Hurin, The History of the Hobbits, Baron and Luthien, The Fall of Gondolin, The Nature of Middle-Earth, The Fall of Numenor, and then there's also some short stories that were later published as well that, that, were, not, that were outside of the books. And that included... Um, uh, Leaf by Niggle, the the Lay of Archer and Erin, the Farmer's Guile and Ham, the Homecoming of Beartharin, Beartharin's son, um, Tree and Leaf, Tolkien Reader, the Smith and Walton Major, and okay. then there's also a lot of other poetry things that all kind of encapsulated within this. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so the movies get made, and then we don't see, you know, we don't see Saturday morning cartoons of this stuff. We don't see, you know. We now live in a post-Game of Thrones world where Game of Thrones really excelled in that regard and really showed that hunger that was there. Right. So when did they start talking about making all of this stuff? Also, does Amazon own that stuff? No, and that's the funniest thing about it all. <laughs> um, so as the story went on, we had the Lord of the Rings movies. We had the, 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 two, the three movies that came out in the early 2000s, wildly successful Holy crap, everyone loved them. Dozens of, like, just Academy Awards everywhere. And following that time, Warner Brothers really did nothing with the IP. They had, obviously, the movie rights. They have one project that was coming out that was an animated project that's still due to come out. It's called The oh. War of the Rohirrim, which is the okay. war of the um, of the horse people from the, the two towers. And this project is still due to come out. It's supposed to be, like, next year, I think. I don't know what's happened to it. It's kind of been in production for a while and it's well water it brothers yeah but water brothers also went belly up and got bought by somebody new and i bet i guarantee you it got paused for a little bit it definitely had to have um then fast forward to a few years back when amazon comes in and just buys the rights to make the rings of power and this happened in 2017. They acquired the global television rights to Lord of the Rings appendices. What and that was the all they bought. What are the appendices? The appendices are actually just a series of, of basically answers 
given at the end of the, the Return of the King book. And this book basically filled in gaps. It didn't tell the whole story. It just answered questions. Now, it can was, the book still live without its appendices? Can you, can you remove it? Is it not? A, you don't need both your appendices to live? So the books, the appendices were cool and they were wonderful to read. And and uh, Peter Jackson did use some some material from the appendices in his movies. But what they what Amazon did is they only bought the global TV rights to that section. They don't have the movie rights to it. They just have the TV rights to it. And let me let me show you real fast. Just so everyone knows at home, Taylor did not get my appendix joke. It's totally fine. I don't fault him for stuff. it. Totally fine. All right. So this was my my copy of it in for my university class. And those are all my notes from when I was doing all my essays. Sure. So the, the end of the book goes to about right here. That's okay. all they bought? They just bought that little pamphlet part? That's what they got. Okay. This is what New Line and Warner Brothers was making their movies on. This is what Amazon bought to make the Rings of Power. What's in in a in, what's in that third one sixtieth of the book? One thirtieth <laughs> of the book? I mean, whatever the actual okay. number of pages is. So what it does is if you go through the appendices, it does answer certain certain things and uh, does it in kind of short story form. Um, so there's the end with the Grey Havens. Okay. So it talks about the kings and rulers, the, the Numenarian kings. Here's a detail about Numenor, and that's what they based good chunks of that show on, was everything about Numenor in these these pages. Well, they got uh, a lot you have of pages the realms that it. are in exile, and they explain what those three realms that are in exile. Here's the the southern line, the kings of Gondor. Here's the the basically the family tree of the kings of Gondor. And it basically is things like that. Like, it just... It's not a full book, but it's like a small essay that answers the question of, okay, what was this reference to? But it also feels like it rewards you, the reader, because you've now read this huge thing and you don't necessarily remember what happened at the first, but as you read these little bits, you're like, oh yeah, I remember when we went there, which is interesting, but it's making reference to something that they don't have the rights to. Right. So they, they bought just the TV the TV rights. So they don't own the movie rights. They don't own the, the merchandising rights. They don't own anything but the TV rights. And they committed a multi-season television event, the Rings of Power. They, they're planning to do it. They set it during the Second Age, which was a good chunk of the appendices because that's not where the, uh, the book actually took place. And they had bought these rights for this crazy amount solely because the Tolkien estate, not Middle-Earth Enterprises, had these this contingency, this weird like quant this this weird like rule that if a TV show was to be adapted off of the work, if the TV show went for more than eight episodes, the rights were theirs to deal with, not the Middle Earth Enterprises. And that's why Amazon went to them to deal with it. What a weird number. How many episodes did we get of Rings of Power? I think nine. Okay. But they were able to work it out that they have the rights, even though that's yes, for the there. TV stuff. But okay. they didn't get the rights to everything else. So they didn't buy the rights to the Cimmerillion. They didn't buy the rights to the Unfinished Tales. They didn't buy any of those rights because it was expensive enough just to get the appendices. That's why the show feels like there's bullet points that are accurate to the books. And then all the stuff in the middle doesn't make sense because they had to fill in gaps because they didn't have access to certain characters, certain plot lines, certain stories. Now, they had to. did they use a Peter Jackson level of interest and love when 
filling in these gaps? Did they do, do are people okay with the way they filled in the gaps? Well, as a, as a lifelong fan of the Lord of the Rings, I can tell you, I was not satisfied at all with what Amazon did. Um, did they cheap it? Does it feel like the people even read the books, Taylor, or does it feel like they came up with like the easiest solution? Yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's very interesting because if you look at the overall reception, uh, the first episode blew blew records away. It was watched by 25 million people within that first hour. It's huge numbers right off the bat. I got so um, bored with it, Taylor. She started climbing yeah. that wall. They were just running around, and then they were climbing on rocks with daggers. I was like, where is Lord of the Rings? I got so right. bored. Um, they did say they did say that it, the viewership did uh, wane over time, but they never said what the numbers actually were. Yeah, they stopped reporting numbers very yeah. quickly with that show. So um, as the, the show went on, um, Rotten Tomatoes had a fantastically high approval score for critics. However, it was very critical among fans because of various reasons. One, obviously, there was there was contradictions to the main lore. Um, Galadriel never visited Numenor, and there was whole episodes where she was like living there for a bit. Uh, there was no love triangle, or no, no love like angle between Sauron and Galadriel. That was not not a thing. And I um, can I can also see how a critic not knowing any of that story stuff is watching this and saying, yes, this is a above par television show. I can see the budget. I can see what they're doing. I can see where they spent the money. This looks like it hits all the boxes where the fans who have read these books over and over and over and over and over again, all of these things are blaring holes in the story. Yes. Big ones. Um, and there was, there were so many other various issues. I mean, the way the rings were constructed, the order of which the rings were constructed, when they were constructed, because the show had the elven rings made first, which that's a, that's a whole other. And also, the other books, the the, the 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 writing itself says the order correct. Like there yeah. is a real then, order to all this stuff. And then the biggest <laughs> glaring issue of them all, Gandalf. The inclusion of Gandalf in this show should not have happened for another few hundred more years. He was, he should not be here, period. And the fact that he showed up, I mean, his whole plot line was pretty cool, but he shouldn't have been Gandalf. It should have been one of the other wizards, but they probably didn't have the rights to those wizards because they didn't buy the rights to those wizards. So that's why they were like, Gandalf's popular. Let's have him meet this weird, not quite Hobbit, Hobbit family. And that's, that's why he loves the halflings is because let's just, let's just try to justify some stuff. But why do we but, need that from him? Like, why can't he, like, he just loves everybody. Like, I don't know. Does Gandalf need to especially need to, like, we need to see him, like, save them from something? Maybe I should watch the show, and then maybe I'll I'll like it. To me, I watched the show. The first episode was kind of cool to watch. Um, I, I finished the whole thing. There were some, some great moments, some meh moments. Um, the creation of Mount Doom was really cool, but that's not how it's supposed to have gone in the books. Um <laughs> It was really cool to watch visually. It was fantastic. But I had some issues with the show, and I'm definitely concerned with any other season going forward. Well, we'll it's so funny. It's so funny because as we're talking about this show now and how the show just petered out, you know, a show like The Last of Us, for the first couple weeks, every episode was a news article where people were talking about discovering this thing that people had seen in the video game. This show should have been like that, Taylor. 
where they're like, wow, they finally visualized this thing. But people weren't writing about what they liked about it. They were writing no, about uh, like, most of the articles came were how did we feel about this weird finale? And that's how a lot of the, how a lot of it went. A lot of people just didn't like it. It was fun to see some some things finally visualized. It was really fun to see. But when you have a show that is so rich in its storytelling and you have the fall of Numenor being teased, but not really talked about, and maybe that's for another season, I don't know. But when you have characters, major characters like Morgoth referenced, and you never show Morgoth other than like, this happened and Morgoth did this. And you're like, wow, okay. I want to show where they explain who the hell Morgoth is, while he fall from the heavens, and how he perverted Sauron into becoming Sauron. That's the show that we should have got. But now, fast forward afterwards. Obviously, the, the lackluster fan response to that show is what it was. Uh, we had some very interesting question stuff happen uh, last, last year. Well, hold, I want to get to that stuff. Is Amazon still moving forward with all five, four seasons? Uh, Whatever they already... they're doing. There's, they basically said that the the marketing that they got for just for the first three episodes, the numbers they got for just those first three episodes, actually recouped the cost for the season. Wow. So they were able to say, yeah, it works. And basically means that we'll get another season where the first three episodes are dynamite, and then it will fall down again and then something will happen at the end or something like this will happen so last year embracer group bought the the company middle earth enterprises the video game the video game the board game people all the extra stuff yes the people that that actually sorted out the rights to the, the movies and all of those projects and it made it very tricky because the rights were split up between so many different parties. Embracer basically has their hand in everyone's pie now, right? They do have financial interest in the Rings of Power because it is a, a, a media outside of the books. They definitely have uh, the Warner Brothers uh, interest in the Warner Brothers six movies, and then the the War of the Rohirrim. Um, they have their they have interest now in EA's projects, the mobile games, all of those things. They have so much tied to this new this new purchase that they're they're making just money off of just like subsidiary rights things like that. And they they spent from what people kind of estimated, they probably spent around eight hundred million dollars to buy this company and get these rights. So big numbers. Yeah. Um, and everyone was like, okay, that's going to be weird because so the and that it wasn't was, bought by Disney or somebody, right? Like yeah, this, it wasn't bought this, by, they got it. Yeah, it, it was kind of insane because the Embracer Group kind of came out of nowhere, spent $8 billion total on 62 different acquisitions. They bought chunks from uh, Square Enix. Like, they literally took the, the rights of Tomb Raider and Deus Ex for $300 million off of Square Enix. Right. Are you saying they got all this for $8 billion or eight, or they got the other thing for $800 million? No, they, they spent $8 billion on 62 acquisitions. One of these acquisitions wow. was the Wolverine. But they, have the, company but they have the Tomb Raider? We like to see they the Tomb Tomb Raider. They bought Deus Ex. They bought a ton of other video game oh. properties. They currently own the video game production team, THQ Nordic. They own them. Um, they they kind of just like, it was like a dark horse that came out of nowhere and just started buying everything. And everyone's like, what the hell is this? Right? So they, they were really excited saying, oh, it's truly exciting to have Lord of the Rings, The Hobbits, 
one of the world's most epic fantasy franchises join our family immediately after this announcement back last last fall everyone kind of assumed okay they're just going to come out of nowhere and we're going to get new movies we're going to get new new uh projects tons of video games based on these things everyone just assumed it was going to be video games comic books board games and probably new movies outside of warner brothers and that was like okay is what it is everyone kind of just assumed that embracer group was now going to compete with amazon and make a different project then came the, the biggest shock that people had was about three weeks ago february 23rd during the the earnings call warner brothers discovery david zaslav announced that mike deluca pan abdi have brokered a deal with embracer group to make multiple new films based on these projects in middle earth taylor i just want you to know that as you were saying this i was thinking in my head oh this is how they get out of harry potter no no and then they also in that same earnings call they said the harry potter is also being developed with new projects like they're yeah. literally saying we have dc we have lord of the rings we have harry potter we have so many things that we should be doing stuff with so we're going to be doing stuff with it yeah uh, so, it makes me it makes me feel that Embracer Group wants the movies to be something significant again. It yes. feels like if they're going to Warner Brothers, they're going to be like, "Hey, remember those other movies that we just start, started on this podcast talking about that are revered and loved for time in memoriam?" That's what we need to be aiming towards. And what's what's interesting about this whole thing was this acquisition. This these conversations all happened after Amazon put out their show. So instead of going to Amazon saying, hey, I have the rights, you want to make it a, C a TV show adaptation of the Lord of the Rings movies, they went back to Warner Brothers and said, hey, let's make a deal. And then with the announcement, they, they admitted no filmmaker has been attached to any of the project yet. However, during the entire process of brokering this new deal, Peter Jackson, Fran Welsh, and Philip Boyens was in the room having these conversations with them crazy crazy that they're they've got back in there again yep and and word is and word is is that peter jackson is either going to direct whatever they do or he's going to handpick the director and executive produce all of these projects more than likely the more the more stuff that is saying is that peter jackson is going to just come out of the woodwork and go right back to the middle earth and that's what people are assuming now question because um, Peter Jackson did have significant success for other projects outside of this six films. Yeah. But nothing like he had with these six films. His King Kong movie was fantastic. Uh, he made like the lovely bones, which was pretty critically received by some people, but then he kind of went back to back to middle earth again. So he, he's essentially making himself out to be like the George Lucas of middle earth, but he gets and it. George Lucas lost his voice along the way. You know what I mean? He forgot what Star Wars was. And I feel like Peter Jackson. Now, will Peter Jackson be able to retell the Amazon show? What it like the actual stories? Can he do that on film and have it be accurate? He 100% could if he wanted to. Oh. And that's the reality is that Amazon paid for the TV rights for the appendixes, Embracer Group owns the rest of the pie and now they have now they're working with with warner brothers to tell whatever they want and if warner brothers says hey why don't we tell the story of the fall of morgoth you could have that little reference that you got in the rings of power 
be an entire movie trilogy. And Warner and Brothers has stated, yeah, and Warner Brothers has stated they want to stay in cinemas, right? And they, you know what I mean? Eventually this will be streaming, but they want this to be an event. They want people yeah. to go to the theater to see this. And mind you, when, when we were younger, when we were in high school, when these movies came out, this rejuvenated theaters into making epics again. Because epics releases. weren't a thing. It was a midnight release. Yeah. We you you had to go see it at midnight, and then you would probably yeah. go see it again next weekend with your other friends' family. Yeah, and and people showed up, and they. Sh I remember seeing. This was before the era of pick the seat you want. I remember seeing it at a theater. We got the last two tickets, and we had to sit apart from each other because the whole theater was full. Yeah, and I, I, I was like. I I don't, need, I don't need to hold your hand for this movie. I just need to see this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's yeah. a couple of movies. So we were like, all right. That. All right. We'll see you in a bit. And like, we just watched the movie. Like, that's how this, this movie was jam-packed. And we, we assumed that it wasn't going to be jam-packed like on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. But it was. It was still. It, this movie did something to the pop culture that hasn't happened in a long time. And now that Embracer Group is kind of this weird this weird roundabout way of things because you had um, the Tolkien estate who sold the, the rights to Amazon and cited that they did not like what Warner brothers did with the projects. They had basically said that the, the Jackson films kept, kept a lot correct, but they turned them into action films and they did not like that. Well, uh, it, it is a, uh, Film is a visual medium. If there isn't action in your movie, and I understand what they mean by action here. I understand that. But if your movie isn't visually compelling, it's going to fail. He was able to translate these books for a cinematic experience where those battles feel epic and feel, yeah. uh, feel, uh, make you feel a certain way that probably wasn't recreated again until some of the better battles from Game of Thrones. And that was the thing was if you wanted the Lord of the Rings books to be ad ad uh, adapted correctly, you needed to do like 12 episodes per per book. And nobody had the time for that. And no, and, and that's what we would have got is like Game of Thrones. You have like one season is mostly talking and then two big episodes where there are fights. And that's what essentially the Lord of the Rings is. It's like... Why isn't it done in an animated form, though? Why is it? Why don't we have a one-to-one -one of all of this stuff in animation? I mean, they tried to do that in the seventies, and we got the Hobbit movie, and then we got the Lord of the Rings, and then the Return of the King. They they just they adapted all three books into just two animated films. Um, they're okay, but um, they were definitely um, interesting <laughs> in their own way, but. What Jackson did was was unique, and it brought new life. It got people to read the books. It got people to be interested again. And the Tolkien estate worked with Amazon to do what was not happening at Warner Brothers because they didn't like what happened at Warner Brothers. Then they agreed to sell the Embracer Group, the company, and then the Embracer Group goes back to Warner Brothers. Wow. Which is such a phenomenally ridiculous scenario do you think that peter jackson hypothetically was involved when embracer group was like you know we're thinking about this property would you be interested again do you think even that far back my understanding and 
from what they even said in this this whole thing, um, Jackson, Walsh, and Bowens said Warner Brothers and Embracer have kept us in the loop every step of the way. Which means that one of them initiated the conversation, maybe probably Embracer Group said, hey, you guys did six fantastic films. What's up? We disagree with this other company, but if we buy them, would you come back again? Yeah. And it's very interesting because Amazon, in the article with the announcement, Amazon, the tech giant who owns the TV rights to Lord of the Rings, produced a single season of television for the gut-busting price of $450 million. For that single season, they spent more money than Jackson did on the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And for that amount of money, Warner Brothers is looking to make maybe two or three movies. Yeah. Do you think that they'll do another lump thing where they'll give him a budget of $400 million to do all three? I mean, the budget's going to be higher now. Look at – listen – my burrito is $11, Taylor. Inflation is real, okay? These yeah. movies are going to cost more. I could see them easily do that. Um, spend more money to make more stuff. Um, and if Peter Jackson's name is attached to it, he'll probably get a cast to agree to it. And if he directs them, if you're right and he comes out and is the guy on set, he might be able to get people to sign these deals for these big movies. And so knowing Jackson, knowing how this project would probably go, there's no, a lot of people are like, oh, Jackson's going to remake his movies. Or no, I don't think Warner Brothers would even want to remake these movies. Why would what you? They you, would want to, you don't do, want to touch those movies. No, those movies are successful and they will get more money from just the residual rights to reselling those movies. Every time they re-release a new box set, people pay and buy it and I buy it. I have like four different versions of the box set at this point. But Jackson, they'll talk to Jackson and say, hey, what can we make a movie of? And he'll say, oh, let's do a story in the second age. Let's do a movie in the first age. Let's tell some stories about young Saruman before he fell. What made him the great white wizard? Let's tell stories of Gandalf hundreds of years beforehand. Let's let's give the origin of this. Like he could Taylor, have. You're speaking my language. The wizards on film are so fire. And the fact that we haven't seen them, like a lot of Lord of the Rings is you're seeing the world from other people. They have the magic. They do all the cool stuff. Let's see what they're doing. And that's actually one of the things why I say that if you watch, if you watch the Hobbit movies in theater, you missed out on some great stuff by not seeing the extended versions because the extended versions had this entire sequence between Sauron and Gandalf where it was like the first time in those six movies that you saw Gandalf actually using some crazy magic. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And it was a really trippy psychedelic scene where it, like you could see Sauron's figure and becoming the eye and then like attacking Gandalf. And it was really crazy looking. Um, I would love to see more of that. And Ian McKellen even, I think just the other day, just said that he would definitely come back if Jackson wanted, him to, wanted. to be Gandalf some more. And the funny thing is that we now understand in the, the world of Hollywood, thanks to Lucasfilm and what they did with uh, ILM, you have Luke Skywalker young on on TV again. And Amazon has rights has access to those tech technology. So does Warner Brothers. They can easily license any one of these actors' likeness and do the same same approach if they want to have say a stand-in do a lot of this work 
And then for close-up shots, you have Ian McKellen appear in the costume, but then go back to the stand and using the deepfake technology to finish all the, the heavy stuff because Ian McKellen is the age he is. Right. You can easily tell these stories that way. And if you work out some deal with the the family of the late actor who played uh, Saruman, because he mm. passed away after completing his work on The Hobbit. Christopher Lee. Yes. They could easily do the same thing, where they have someone who looks like him play a younger version of him or some sort of a deep fake-ish to make it... I mean, Star Wars, those... Um, what were those cartoons? Not They were like a bunch of Osaka tales. They were like little episodes. They were all Clone Wars. They had a Christopher Lee. They had a Count Dooku guy running around and like, that's basically a CG version of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. This so is the animatic could... version of it, but it's the same thing. Yeah. They could easily tell the same story that Rings of Power did, but tell it accurately if they wanted to. And that would be the biggest gut punch to Amazon's investment. Because Amazon won the critics, but they did not win the hearts of the audience. The audience tapered out. The fans did not stick around. The fans bitched and moaned the entire time. There was these funny memes, funny, funny memes, that they used to be like, uh, Star Wars fans, and they're just all fighting. You have comic book fans, they're all fighting. And then you have Lord of the Rings fans, and they're all sitting there like civilized in chairs with monocles saying, I like what Jackson did with that. Yes. Mm. And that was the truth because you had people who, even though Jackson changed some things, nothing he did was irreverent to the material. And, and people, people understood okay the constraints he was under to yes. get that on film. I feel like there's a leeway when you understand the scope of that story. I get it. Yes. And it's very interesting because when Amazon put out their shows, those same people were like, nope, this isn't it. And just they they were not they were not a fan of it. And I tried so hard to love this show. They had good music, the cinematography was great, but there were so many glaring issues with it that I just I couldn't Listen, I, I can't been, I have a hard time been... recommending it to people. I agree with you. I think high fantasy on TV is in a weird spot right now because I feel the same way about the Hob uh, the uh, Willow show. I was like, I'm not recommending that to anybody. You know what I mean? It was difficult enough for me to get through it. Yep. Okay. And so where are we as their rumblings besides that? And they told their investors on a call, we are going to do this thing or we are planning to do this thing. Has anything else been announced since then? So since the the announcement three weeks ago, there was another uh, update that happened just five days ago, and oh, five or six days ago. Oh, and they they said um, the the IPs. They basically they talked about how DC Universe is moving, how Lord of the Rings is moving, Harry Potter stuff is moving, etc. They talked about the massive success of Hogwarts Legacy, the game that was. There were so many groups trying to boycott the game because of J.K. Rowling. This game actually sold more than almost it, – it broke insane records. Um, you you had video gamers play it, and you probably had people that have never played a modern video game pick up this game as their very first game. I, would, I yep. wouldn't be surprised if you have people – this is their first, like, oh, AAA game. In, on February 23rd. Warner Brothers Discovery formally announced that the game sold more than 12 million copies in its first two weeks, generating $850 million in global sales. Yeah. That's yeah. insane for a brand new game franchise. Yeah. 
And that's right. not, and they haven't even talked DLC. They haven't even talked about all the other things they're going to tack on to that universe. No, they're not. They're not even doing DLC. That was one of the most amazing things about it. They said, we're not going to do DLC. We're just going to let the team make a sequel. And then they were Oh, rumblings. great. So Hogwarts Legacy 2 is already being worked on right now? Yep. Great. And then there's also rumblings that the story displayed in Hogwarts Legacy may be adapted into other mediums like movie or TV. That could be the new story that is being told. And they they talked about how um, and in this announcement they, they put in, they talked about all this. Uh, they said DC is not only is not the only Warner Brothers owned property property that Warner Brothers Discovery leadership is interested in capitalizing on. They they quote uh, take Harry Potter as an example. The Wizarding World. The fact that we are enjoying a massive success with Hogwarts Legacy launch twelve years after the last film came out shows that there's so much opportunity and we're only starting to expand on that. We've got the new Harry Potter tour coming up in Tokyo in the middle of the year. Long story short, I think this one company approach, great leadership in the individual business units, but coordinating franchise management is probably the biggest opportunity the company has. So they they admitted there's a huge room for this franchise to move forward with. And this one game did more for the franchise than the last three Fantastic Beasts films did. The lat they've not yeah they've been they've all been weak films. The first one was real yep. fun, but it never delivered on those promises. And the other two movies are a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that this game is so successful. What if we adapt this game, right? That would be fantastic. The story is fantastic. It's gritty. It's dark. The ending was amazing. It's probably one of those games where I feel like I'm definitely going to have to earn that platinum because there's a lot to do. Um, but that, like. It's a Harry Potter game with lots of magic. You're doing yep. stuff all the time, which means in the movie they would be doing stuff all the time. And we've still we've seen them do fun stuff in the movie, but it still feels like we've never really opened up that that uh, Pandora's box all the way. Yep. There is, and then when they were asked about the Lord of the Rings films, the the quote was David made a promise, quote unquote very early on to revitalize some of the iconic temple IPs and we're just starting to make progress. It's exciting to see how people are coming in and out of the creative community and embracing this opportunity to work with us. That's going to bear fruit over time. I, I feel like this is that phone call you said where they were like, why did you lose all these people? And they, if they can get Peter Jackson in town on this brand again, it's a really big deal. And the whole whole scenario, I, I just love to, to point out, like, Amazon spent an obscene amount of money. And, and told everybody. Near. Told everybody. We're spending all this money. We're going to spend so much money. You're going to love this show. And people hate it. It, it was insane. Like, they spent uh, $715 million to make this, this show. And... There was even a quote where Jeff Bezos said that his son basically called him up and said, if you fuck this up, you're going to have people hate you. And it literally what happened. And now the announcement that Warner Brothers is making more films was almost critically praised by everybody because they're like, do you think, he texted, do you think, he, te do you think he texted his dad, Jeff Bezos? It was like, Warner Brothers is my new dad now. <laughs> I'm done with you. I'm moving to them. <laughs> I'm moving over to their platform. It's very interesting because just how it all played out, you had the War of the Rohirrim, which was kind of just stuck in this weird development state. And Tolkien Estate was trying to sell it to someone else to make some other projects because they didn't like what it, they did. 
then they sold it to Embracer Group, and then Embracer Group went right back to Warner Brothers. It's just so is Tolkien out of it then? I mean, there's the book people, but like that's it. And basically, Warner Brothers can do whatever they want now because they're working with the people who now own the rights. Uh, the Tolkien estate obviously owns the books, and they can make some they can make some requests. But... Embracer Group sees the writing on the wall. If they can get a Peter Jackson-led successful film, they will see sales of the Similarillion like they've never seen before. I'm sure those books have sold well, but I guarantee you it's not the same numbers as The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And if there is right. a successful movie, people will want to go see it. Just like James Gunn just did with a bunch of comic books where everyone went and bought them, same thing's going to happen here with these movies. And I don't think for a second they're going to go in and say, we're making three films based on the Cimmerillion because that's a really hard sell to do. But I just imagine the Peter Jackson style intro that we got for the Lord of the Rings, the first one where it showed the war and the, the fall of Sauron. I see that kind of 20, 30 minute intro of the Valar creating the Middle Earth. And that would be something spectacular to see on film. Do you think we could see two movies? Like, do you think we could see a part one and a part two and not have to lump this into a three and then maybe have a third movie be a standalone that is inspired, that directly is here, but doesn't need to be a four hour epic? I would love to see whatever they do. And I think what they, they could easily take what Amazon was trying to do and then do it correctly and not tell the story that they, that Amazon tried to tell and failed, but they could be like, we're going to do a movie that is the, the 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 Wizards of Middle-earth or something and just call it the Wizards of Middle-earth and it talks about when they first came to Earth the what they did what their purpose is and then tell that story because Gandalf has lived on Middle-earth for about two and a half thousand years he's been there for a while and, and he chose and, to look and he dies like he dies and comes back right right because he dies and then they send them right back. And they're like, nope, you're not done yet. And they send them right back. And the the Yo, roles that they all Groundhog's play Day season. with Gandalf sounds like a great movie. <laughs> but Gandalf chose the form that he did because they don't age. And he chose that form because the form of the, the elderly man was something that could gain trust among everyone who worked with him. So having the decision, like showing us that, like these, these faceless Valar coming down to earth and choosing the forms that they choose to be what they are would make some really compelling storytelling. Mm. And I'm ready for it. When does this bear fruit? Is this another wait for Comic-Con deal? Is there a Lord of the Rings? When's Lord of the Rings day? When's the next Tolkien convention? When do you think we hear anything about any of this? Probably next year. I could easily see 2024 being the year where they make the big announcements on what's going on with the rest of the Tolkien cinematic universe mm. that's where okay. i see it uh do you think we hear rumblings of casting and other things like that maybe within this year or a script maybe coming out the only thing that i could see happening within this year is the the rumblings of peter jackson officially coming back and rumblings of what work he's adapting yeah that's where i see happening is like them say oh word is that peter jackson is coming forward to help write this project and it's going to be based on the ballad of tom bombadil like okay weird let's see that movie because people are embracing that stuff now 
Yeah, and I wonder which way he wants to go. You know, he really does have this. He could either go this way and link it up to his Hobbit movies, or he could go this way as well. I mean, either one would be fine. I don't think for a second that Warner Brothers would have included him on the conversation if they didn't want him to link it up to those six films. 100%. 100%. Because the the iconic imagery that they had created making those six films, you could even see Amazon was trying to replicate it, even though they were trying to not connect it to those films. They could easily be like, okay, let's explain what a Balrog is in this film and then show that story. Or let's explain this. Because even Amazon used the same designs and imagery that that was created for the movies when they were explaining the Balrog, which was like, okay, so you're not connected, but you clearly liked what they did better. So it's like, we're not going to copy you, but we're going to take verbatim some of the things that we liked. Well, listen, I'm excited to know that we in all of our conversations moving forward, have this pen in our cap that eventually we get to come back to Lord of the Rings and that it's being worked on and it's rumbling and that it sounds exciting. It sounds like the right people are in the room for this movie. I I think out of all the different fandoms right now that are existing with with DC, with Marvel, with with Star Wars, with Game of Thrones, with, with all of it, this is the one that's always been the most comforting to me because I love mm. the lore. I love the stories and hearing that these people are back in the mix after the sour taste I got with what Amazon did, I can feel nothing but hopeful. Mm. And it's going to be very interesting to see if Warner brothers decides to give Amazon the biggest of middle fingers and just readapt the same coverage, but differently and probably better because they have Peter Jackson in the room. Amazon spent a bunch of money to do audience testing on what worked and what didn't work. Why would they not just do what worked again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. But on that note, I think that's where we should probably wrap it up because we, I could probably, I could rant about how much I love these Lord of the Rings stuff for hours. I know. And we should, this is a great topic that we should bring up to the round table. This is a topic because those book boys also have a lot of ideas on this. And I would love to hear everyone's opinion with Lord of the Rings because you're right. This does feel like the franchise that I want to hook my anchor onto and go out to sea with. Yeah, 100%. But on that note, uh, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, if you want to help us uh, keep the lights on and keep doing what we're doing, head over to patreon.com slash theculturednerd. Big thank you to those of you who are currently supporting us. I've been your host, Taylor Murphy, and my co-host, Michael Santel. We're here with you every week. A big thank you to Jose Navarro for creating all this wonderful visual assets for us. And the intro was made by myself and Jay Stew of TCN Rundown. Uh, if you're at home, if you're sitting on the couch, go ahead, scan that QR code, follow us on the socials, and... Uh, interact with us there because we definitely try to interact as much as we can. If you like, share, comment, everything across all of our platforms, you will definitely be hearing my voice in response. So big thank you to those of you who do, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.